Welcome back to Cogumentative, your favorite Times Live Stroke Times Media podcast, in which we chat about all things cars. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times and Times Live Motoring. And this week I'm joined in the virtual studio by my colleague Dennis Dropper from BD Motor News. Dennis, how are you? I'm great, thanks Thomas, and nice to be back on the show. How are things on your side? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. You know, we've uh, we've had a public holiday this this week, which has been a bit of a treat, you know, Heritage Day, get to celebrate things all South African. I was actually celebrating something German. Um, I had a Porsche Cayman GT4 on test, so I basically spent most of the day roaring around Joburg doing things that, uh, you know, are highly illegal. So that was you, I heard. (laughs) Exactly. That was me. That was me. The car is going back on Saturday morning, which I'm actually quite glad about because if I had it for any longer, I would probably end up in jail. So, uh, you know, it's been a short and explosive visit. And uh, yeah, geez, what a car. I know that you've had it before. We've chatted about it ab nauseum on this podcast, but uh, yeah, when Porsche makes a, a Focus Cayman, they really make one well. It's been a pleasure to drive around it. But um, what's been happening on your side? Any uh, interesting news or you know cars in your driveway? Well, um, from Porsche Cayman GT4s to something distinctly more humble, and Toyota South Africa this week unveiled its new Starlet hatchback. And this is basically a, a rebadged Suzuki Beleno because Toyota and Suzuki have this international cooperation agreement. And it's a sub-B segment contender, which replaces the brand's popular but aging Etios in the battle against the VW Polo and Renault Sandero and a few other cars. It's a very attractive little vehicle, and uh, in, in particular, the pricing is very competitive because it starts at 204,900 Rand for the baseline Starlet uh, 1.4. And... Uh, that undercuts vehicles like the Polo, which starts at 244,000. And in fact, the, the Suzuki Beleno on which it's based, which starts at 222,000. Um, so, you know, for somebody shopping in that segment of the market looking for maybe a, a first car or maybe even an empty nester car, it does seem like quite good value. It's got quite a lot of spec, a standard ABS and stability control, and uh, at least two airbags. The higher models have uh, four airbags. And, of course, it's built by Toyota, which comes with the implication of uh, good reliability. It does indeed. And also um, a massive dealer network. You know, wherever you go in South Africa, uh, there's a little Toyota dealership or a big one. Um, so that's, you know, added peace of mind. Um, it's, yeah, it should, it should do well. You know, people here love Toyotas. I think the Etios was getting very long in the tooth. Um, it's, it's never been the most, you know, exciting of small cars. It's a bit frumpy. So the Starlet should, uh, it should do well. It's interesting, though, because Toyota just seems to be a company that's getting more and more into brand engineering. You know, we've got the Supra, which is basically a Z4. Uh, we've got the 86, which, as we know, is a, a BRZ. And now we've got the Starlet, which is a Suzuki Berlino. So it's going to be interesting to see if people find umbrage in that or, you know, if it's going to, you know, just be accepted. But I guess yeah. time will tell. I think if it's got a Toyota badge and a good price tag, then uh, it's already won more than half the battle. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. I agree. And Dennis, I don't know if you saw, I mean, earlier this week, uh, BMW unleashing the new M4 and M3 models. 
That's right, yeah. These have been uh, drip-fed to us in a very long teaser campaign, and now finally the wraps have officially come off. And uh, it's a very controversial style. Uh, the Twitter sphere is ablaze with comments on that large, gnashing vertical grill, which harks back to some older BMWs, like back in the day of the 328. Yeah, look, whatever you think of the, the grill, the engine behind it is certainly putting out some decent firepower. And uh, the basic version makes 353 kilowatts. But uh, being the petrol heads we are, we're not going to get the basic version. We are going to get the competition versions, which have 375 kilowatts and 650 newton meters worth of torque, which are going to pitch them basically more or less directly against the uh, Mercedes C63 AMG. So that battle is set to recommence in the sports, in the German sports sedan and sports coupe category. Yeah, it looks like a monster. And as you said, I mean, South Africans, well, uh, in South Africa, we're only going to get the competition versions, which means uh, automatic only. You can get a manual in the base models, but uh, those aren't coming here. But quite frankly, you know, with a car with that much power, I think automatic is the way to go. You know, uh, having a manual, I think it just slows down the car and maybe detracts from the cornering performance. And uh, yeah, but um it's going to be coming out here in 2021, first half of the year, pricing yet to be confirmed. But uh, yeah, it should be an exciting car to drive. I wonder how long it'll take for people to find that that uh, frontal styling becomes the new normal. Because I know that when Audi first came out with its giant uh, gaping grills, everyone was shocked and horrified. But now it's like, oh, you know, it's just normal. So maybe the same will happen to these BMWs. Maybe, maybe you know, um, it's it's such a it's such a polarizing design feature. I I don't know. I just can't get into it. To me, it just looks weird and awkward. Personally, I I wouldn't be surprised if BMW changes it during that car's life cycle. You know, uh, when it comes time for a facelift. But um, I don't know. Maybe people do enjoy it. Maybe it is going to catch on. Uh, time will tell. But uh, for me, uh, I don't know. I prefer the look of the older grills. But having said that, I've always been a fan of the Bangle-style cars, you know, of the 2000s. And I think it was a sad day when Bangle left BMW. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, but leaving BMW, is there anything else that's been going on? Well, I, I tested a very interesting gadget recently, and it's uh, called the Garmin Catalyst. And this is a gadget that claims to improve your lap times. It's a 20,000 Rand device. It's about tablet sized mm -hmm. on the dashboard of your car, and it gives you real time coaching. So, for instance, it'll, uh, after you've done a few laps, it'll stitch together what it believes is your ideal lap from your uh, individual sector times, and then it'll tell you how to drive to achieve that lap. So, it'll say, for instance, brake earlier for the next corner, or apex earlier, or apex later, things like that. And I played with this device where Garmin hosted a day at Swatkops last week, and it was very interesting. From the, from the coaching point of view, I felt that some of the instructions were possibly a, a little bit late in that I was already kind of committed to a particular breaking point or line through a corner by the time the, the instruction arrived. But what I did find was very helpful was it gave you a real lap timer which showed you how much further or how your lap time was comparing to your best lap time. So... It showed in green, for instance, if you were two or three tenths ahead or, or in red if you were a little bit behind. 
So immediately you could see, like, okay, I, I fluffed that corner because now I'm in the red. But when you when you got things right in the next one, it put you back into the green. So, it, you know, I, I only had about 12 laps to experience it, and I, I'd need to play with it a bit more. But from initial impressions, it seems like it, it could actually help some people improve their lap times. So maybe the next time you go racing, Thomas, you can loan one of those units and, and see how that works for you. I'd actually love to give it a go, Dennis. I've been following it with interest, you know. Uh, they had a, a kind of like a, a pre-launch article and, and obviously it, it was launched uh, last week. So I'd really be, I'd be quite keen to give it a whirl. My teammate actually uh, in Lotus Challenge, he's been umming and ahhing about maybe getting one. So it would be quite cool to, to get my hands on one and, and see if it helps him as well because, uh, you know, it's kind of quite hard to give people coaching in a single seater, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not cheap. Twenty thousand rand is uh, quite a large amount to, to cough up. But if you if you're serious about improving your lap times and getting faster around the track, then maybe it is worthwhile. Yeah, and, and nothing in motor racing is cheap. So I think in the context no. of that, then twenty thousand rand doesn't seem like much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's the bottomless pits. The bottomless pit. Uh, yeah. The more you have, the more you'll spend. And that's just a, a cold, hard fact about motorsport. That's it, Dennis. We've, uh, we've, we've got to move on. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to be joined in the studio by a special guest. So stay tuned for that one. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. In this segment of the show, we're joined in the virtual studio by cars.co.za customer experience manager, Hannes Oersteisen. Hannes, thanks so much for taking the time out to, uh, to join us here. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I can't complain. You know, the, the sun is out. Uh, the rain <laughs> is away. Um, I think it's the down in Cape Town because uh, you said it's pouring down there. Yeah, it's just started bucketing down. Excellent. Well, it's a good excuse uh, to stay indoors and open a bottle of red or a bottle of white, or maybe both, you know? Sounds fantastic. Now, um, Hannes, before we go on, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what your role is at cars.co.za? Sure. Um, I guess my title is Consumer Experience Manager, but uh, I think that's going to change pretty soon because that's not really what I uh, do day to day. Um, I'm more involved in uh, content strategy, so heading up the content team. Uh, also, for Cars at Coast, as a business, more strategic uh, new projects. So, for example, the Cars at Coast Consumer Awards, for example, as well as uh, the Sentimental Project. So, very much a strategic content role for me at the moment. Okay. And I mean, it's, it's actually pretty interesting because, uh, look, I mean, I've been in this game now for a while, since about 2008. And back in those days, you were at 
at Car Magazine. That's where we first met. And then you were editor of Car for about two years. And then uh, you also got a chance to sample uh, things on the other side of the fence. Uh, you were in automotive PR. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, actually, um, after Car Magazine, you know, I felt that to have growth in my career and, uh, you know, financially, professionally, um, everything, I needed to move out of media and into the motor industry itself. And uh, I looked specifically for a brand that would give me as much exposure in as quick a time as possible. So if I joined one of the big brands, you would become like a product manager of, let's say, a specific model, and it would be quite limited. But I was fortunate enough to join uh, GWM at that time. And uh, I didn't only do PR, I did product planning, I did product pricing. I did marketing events. I even did some dealership training. So a very quick, very accelerated learning curve on what it's like on the other side of the fence. And I must say, a lot of what I learned at GWM has helped me a lot in, in, in sort of defining this role for myself at Carset Coza and, and shaping the content that we do here. And I mean, um, what was life like in PR, I mean, I think a lot of motoring journalists, you know, kind of think they might like to try it out. Was there a lot of culture shock? Um, I, th- I wouldn't call it culture shock, really. I think you look at the media landscape a lot more uh, intently. You, you know, you track things, obviously, for your own purposes, much better. And, and I think you learn a lot about the media industry when you're not in the media industry. You're actually observing the media industry from the other side. So I would say I, I got a lot of respect for guys, for some of the smaller guys, what they're doing because of the things that we could track on our side. And uh, it, it kind of opened my eyes to what uh, the media landscape, you know, who the big players are and who the big players of the future are really in, in a very short space of time. And I mean, um, you mentioned players of the future. Moving to cars.co.za, I mean, that was also quite a, an interesting kind of move to make because back in the day when cars.co.za came out, I think a lot of uh, the established print media guys almost looked down their noses at it. You know, it was kind of like an online platform and, you know, it wasn't very big. But in a couple of years, it's now kind of grown and you guys have a massive online footprint. You have awards, and you've got the sentimental project as well. So, uh, I mean, what do you attribute this massive growth, you know, from being a relatively obscure website to a, a large online media force? So I really attribute it to to the founders of the business, uh, Ross McElroy and Alistair McMurray. They saw the need for content on Cars of Coast way before I joined. And they appointed David Taylor back in the day to run content before I joined. So the purpose of content really for us at Cars of Coast is really, you know, if you look at what we were as a classifieds and how people buy cars. So typically a person would buy a car once every four or five years. So if as a platform, you only speak to a person once every four or five years, then, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, what's the word, limited conversation. And, and the ability to sell advertising obviously diminishes with less traffic. So content really is there to perform a marketing role for us. Uh, content is not necessarily monetized uh, or doesn't need to be monetized directly with us. We believe that if we provide consumers with news, relevant news, consumer advice and entertainment, then 
you know, wherever they are in the buying funnel, uh, whether they just sort of just bought a car or whether they're going to buy a car in four years' time, if we can provide them with a reason to come to the website every day or at least once every week, um, you know, obviously it's to the benefit of the website's numbers and then it's that, that's to the benefit of selling advertising, it's to the benefit of SEO. So content really performs multiple roles for us. And I think with awards specifically, what, what the goal was, certainly from my point of view, was we needed to gain a consumer authority role. And we needed to change the perception, as you correctly say, of Cosa as, as purely a classified. So the Cosa Consumer Awards is a very serious awards program. It's grown very fast, and I think it has changed perceptions, not only in the public's eye of what Cosa Cosa is, but also in terms of the OEMs. Okay. Um, I've been hogging the mic. I'm going to pass it on to Dennis Dropper, my colleague from BD Motor News, who you obviously know fairly yeah. well. And um, yeah, maybe you guys can tell our listeners a little bit more about the Sentimental program, because that's uh, quite a nice thing you guys have got going. Yeah, hi, Hannes. Um, hi, Thanks for thanks for joining us today. It's great to have you aboard. And yes, yeah, so I would like to find out a little bit a little bit more about Sentimental. So, can you just give us a little bit of background about exactly what it is you do, uh, where you source your cars, what you do with them? Sure. Look, the, the cars are only one part of Sentimental. I think I'm just going to take it back a little bit to why we do Sentimental in the first place. So, you know, if Cars at Cars's main business is helping people buy cars, it's a very um, it's brain work, understand. You need to give facts, advice. And buying a car is never supposed to be a very, um, it's, it's more of a rational process. And I think we've done that pretty well in the past few years. So we've become known as this consumer authority. But what we've also learned is that, you know, South Africans are petrol heads. And, and if we want to appeal to people, not just, uh, you know, when they're buying a car, but to their hearts as well, then these really emotional uh, cars, these uh, can say it's 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 almost like a passion project for cars at Coza, but it's it's also a way in connecting with South Africa's enthusiasts, of which there are many. So we decided we need to produce content for these enthusiasts, and at the same time we discovered that you know the more we dig into this South Africanness or the South African heritage of the automotive heritage. Uh, the more appealing it became to actually have some of these cars ourselves and do content on them and, and take them to events and so on. And so in the, and that's how the whole collection started. We started with a Superboss, ground-up restoration. The car was found for us by the person who restored it and who is known as the, the Superboss restorer. And as that sort of gathered steam and we, we saw the, the appetite from, from our audience, uh, we know we've since acquired four more cars one of which is a Ford Capri Piranha, which is uh, sort of entering restoration at the moment. Great stuff, Hannes. I believe that there's also a very nice uh, Alpha in the fleet. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, as, as most people would know, in the, in the 80s, uh, in Group 1 racing, there was a fairly serious rivalry between the likes of BMW and Alpha and Ford, and uh, Alfa Romeo did a local development called the GTV 6 3-liter, of which I think 212 were built. Um, and so, of course, our collection is, exists entirely of South African specials. So, so we, um, we tracked one down. Uh, also, 
the car that we bought, we bought from the owner who then restored it for us. So he's, he was very passionate about the project. And in fact, for me, just to get the keys out of his hands to that car is a, is, is a mission. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's really protective of it. But um, I would say that car and the process it's gone through is it sets a new sort of uh, high mark for us in terms of restorations. Um, if there was a concourse South Africa this year, it, we would have definitely entered it. I believe it would have stood a very good chance of winning it. I've only driven it once for a few hundred meters because at the moment we are treating it as a as a display car because it is just in, I mean, you must just see this car underneath. It is immaculate. You can lick the, every part of that car and it would be dirtier afterward. That, that sounds awesome. So now when, when these cars are, are not on display and uh, not being driven, I mean, are they safely stashed away and and uh, lovingly buffed and, and polished and getting ready for the next uh, competition? Or, or do some of them actually get driven? So the cars are in Johannesburg and obviously the content team is down in Cape Town. And um, for that reason, they're standing still most of the time. But I have uh, embarked on a sort of a PR campaign with these cars, especially in this heritage month, to take the cars to the media, to get them to experience the cars and to drive them. When we started the project, we said that these are not going to be garage queens, and and that certainly is is not going to be the case. As soon as the Alphas won its trophy, it will become available in, in our PR fleet as well. But we are bringing some of the cars down to Cape Town, and then they'll, they'll be driven a fair bit more. We don't intend selling these cars. They're going to be part of our, let's say, the cars of Coza heritage as well. We're a proudly South African company, and I think playing our role in protecting these cars is is important as well. Yes, for sure. I mean, South Africa has quite a rich history of SA-built specials. I mean, we're looking at other vehicles like the Ford Sierra XR8, the BMW 333i. Uh, any plans to get uh, those kind of vehicles onto your fleet? Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we've got five cars in our fleet at the moment, two E30, three to five ISs as well, uh, Evo 1 and the Evo 2, and uh, as I said, the Capri Piranha. So... Sierra XR8, BMW 333i, Chef Renza Can-Am, even BMW 745i. These are all cars that are on the hit list. But you know, the, the, the further you go down this rabbit hole, the more South African specials you discover. Right. There's the Fiat 131 Racing, which very few people know about. There's the Mini 1275 uh, GTS, for example. So, yeah, um, eventually it can become a fairly uh, substantial collection if we want to go for every one of them. Yes. And, I mean, what kind of reaction do you get? I mean, are there a lot of uh, old-school petrol heads who, who still remember these cars from their heyday? Definitely. Um, I think... Our most uh, successful videos, especially, and, and in terms of prints as well, you know, it's the cars from the 80s and early 90s. It's the people of, of sort of my age that are now looking back at Group N Racing, West Bank Modifieds, and, and really uh, fondly remembering the cars of the 80s and the, and the early 90s. So, and that's also the period where you had, you had Group 1 and you had Group N. So, and, and that's the peak time of the SA special. So, Massive interest, even from overseas. You know, we, we sell prints of these cars on, on the sentimental shop. And uh, Octane magazine has picked up on it. We're shipping quite a lot of prints overseas at the moment. I've been asked to write a fairly definitive piece on South African specials for a uh, overseas-based magazine. So I think 
you know, there's this perception that South African specials were just sort of thrown together by the racing teams uh, using bits that were available to them. But I think that's an inaccuracy that we need to, to address. And it's time that we accurately document and highlight the importance of these cars within our automotive heritage. Well, I think you guys are doing a great job at keeping SA's auto heritage alive and, and kudos to you for that. Thank you. And it's fun as yeah. well. Yeah, of course. Of course, it's fun. <laughs> Thomas, uh, that's all from my side for now. Cool, Dennis. Well, thanks a lot. Um, Hannes, talking about South African specials, are you guys planning on ever getting a, a Daihatsu Materia Turbo? Because, I mean, I think we were one of the, you know, of the final South African specials ever made before, you Is know. yours for sale? <laughs> I actually sold mine at oh, the beginning of the year. Yeah, it oh, sold already. Yeah, so but, we missed uh, out. You missed out, but uh, <laughs> I know the guy who bought it. He's a friend of mine. He lives in Durban. Yeah. It's still down there, kicking around. Do you know how um, many they made? I think they only made about 40. Um, oh. I think they made about 40, and there were about two or three mules, um, yeah. which were apparently black. All the production variants that were sold were, were white. But it was well, a I'm a big Daihatsu fan, car. so um, yeah. I've owned two in my, in my well, I've bought them for my wife, but nevertheless, owned two Daihatsu's, I believe in the brand. And uh, I don't know if you remember, around about the same time, Kia had a Proceed hot hatch that was also exclusive to South Africa. Jeez, so I don't even, actually remember that. I can remember going to the Proceed launch at Swart Corps. Um, yeah. So it must have come out just after the launch. Yeah. So so even, you know, 2010, thereabouts, we, we still had some cars that were pretty special to to this country. Mm. But I guess it becomes harder and harder to do, you know, because a lot of the companies are obviously, you know, the headquarters are overseas and there's so much red tape, you know, to go through these days that uh, South African specials like that proceed and like the Daihatsu Materia Turbo. Uh, it's going to be harder and harder to make those cars and actually bring them out to market. Yeah, I think at most we can expect the addition of a little sticker at the end of a, of a name, um, maybe a trim change or two. The era of the SA specials will never, we'll never have that again. Yeah, I know yeah, it's, uh, it's sad, but um, I'm interested to hear that, that some of your cars are going to be available uh, for the media to drive. I would be super keen to drive your super bus. I saw well, it last year, actually. We are. I will cancel any new car, any new test car <laughs> to drive a super bus because they are just, they're so cool. I think they are, they're just way cooler in looks and, you know, performance than the Golf GTI. I've always been something of an Opel fan. Um, and I think so, we'll I mean, appreciate it, this one because it's got that distinct Mentos smell, if you remember from uh, yes. Stain City. I do, yeah. It's like one half Mentos, one half mothballs, one half eighties awesome. It's just such a such a cool car, you know. So if we could make that happen, I would be a, a very happy man. Um, oh. Well, um, I'll get in touch with you after the show, and we can hopefully hook something up. But uh, you were talking about cars from the eighties and nineties, and you move in classic circles. In the past, we've seen cars like the Porsche nine eleven just go crazy in terms of market value. And desirability. What do you think is going to be the next big thing in terms of cars and classic cars and collecting classic cars within the next couple of years? Is there any specific mark or genre that collectors are probably going to go crazy for? Quite a difficult question in this uh, lockdown COVID period. 
But mm. based on what I've seen in the UK, um, it is really your 80s cars and your early 90s cars that um, the people of my age and, and a little bit older maybe uh, really are throwing money at. So uh, your E30s, your E36, the E30 is already gone to some extent, but your E36s are going to follow. Uh, anything with an embed really is going to to appreciate. But I guess you have to really look at things with limited build. So, you know, cars like the BMW 1M already, you know, perceived as a modern classic. And, and then also things like the Porsche Cayman R, uh, limited build Porsche is always going to appreciate or should if the world was not upside down. Yeah, I think... Honda S2000, although the Honda S2000's prices just never seem to really go down. I think it's already probably bottomed. Yeah, I mean, I've actually seen them go up. I mean, before yeah. you could you could buy a fairly decent S2000 for, you know, around about 200,000. But now if, yeah. you, if you want a clean one, you're looking at 300,000 plus. Yeah. You know? So they've already started to, to go up in value. And then if you can find a clean, unmolested early Subaru Impreza GT or SDI, even the bug eye, I think those might also be a good bet. But again, I mean, finding one is just uh, quite problematic. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I've long been a fan of the bug eye. I think it's one of the coolest Subarus. And uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen one in ages. Uh, and if you do, they're normally, you know, sort of modified with terrible wheels and aero kits and stuff. I think they just got to a stage where nobody really wanted them. It was the bastard child of yes. the Impreza range. And they were going for a song and people picked them up, drove them for a few years and then couldn't afford the maintenance. And, you know, yes. so, exactly. um, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, if you do find a nice clean one, then that's definitely a, a car to get. And also that's really been the story of the SA specials as well, is that, so many of those cars, n nobody would ever have imagined how valuable they are. They would become, and um, you know, even the E33 to 5 ASs, the the Cadet Superbosses, you could pick those up less than 10 years ago for a song, and now you're talking mm. big money, even for a Superboss in, in pristine condition. So um, exactly. you never know. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Anything of limited build really has a good chance. And tell me, what do you drive? I mean, what is your personal car when you're not driving test cars or your amazing fleet of sentimental South African specials? Do you have anything special in your driveway at the moment? I mean, I, I can remember you used to have an Opel. It was an Opel Manta, was it? GT, no, that's it. GT, GT yeah. yeah. No, I know where the Opel GT is and I want it back desperately, but um, <laughs> the, the owner doesn't want to budge. At the moment, um, I wouldn't say I'm dailying it. It would be a bit mm. of a stretch, but I've got a 67 Citroen DS19, which, you know, I use for events and, and when the weather is good and um, mm. when the battery is not flat. <laughs> That's a very cool car. I've actually never driven one, but uh, well, just in terms of styling and interior and the technology that was at the time, you know, just... Uh, head and shoulders above uh, most of its competitors. Well, when you're in Cape Town, give me a shot. Come drive it. I'd love to. I'd love to do that. What's that car like to maintain? I mean, you hear these horror stories about the suspension system and, you know, the pneumatics and all that kind of stuff going awry. Is that is that just, you know, uh, urban myth or...? Uh, it depends. Uh, if you get a good one like I've got, um, my car's had the same mechanics since it was sold new to now. Um, it's something that you don't, get so this person knows this car you know um, every nut and bolt of it and, it and has serviced it from you so 
I've got a good one. It's been the most reliable car, old car anyway, that I've ever had. Mechanically, she's very strong. It's probably a little bit of rust popping out now that I need to attend to, but that's usually the same story with all old cars. But if you buy a Citroen DS and it's not a good one, then you're in for a, a very bumpy ride, literally and financially. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, Hannes, um, it's been great chatting. I could keep on chatting old cars uh, for hours, but uh, producer Didi is waving her hands at me and saying we got to move on. So, uh, yeah, once again, thanks for joining uh, Dennis and myself on the show. And thanks for telling us about uh, the Sentimental Project. It's very cool. And to you listeners out there, if you want to go check it out, uh, go to sentimental.shop and you can see all sorts of uh, videos. Uh, there's some articles, I think. And um, you can obviously yeah. buy some of, of the prints that Hannes has been talking about. If you've got a man cave, I know that many of you do. Some really cool stuff to put in it. So yeah, go have a look. And uh, yeah, again, Hannes, Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks from my side, too. Great to have you aboard today. Go well. You too, Dennis. Take care. And, folks, that brings us to the end of the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed uh, listening to Hannes and his insights and uh, revisiting some of those amazing SA specials, which is, uh, you know, all part of, of Heritage Month. So, yeah. Um, but, again, we'll be back next week for another episode of Cargumentative. Until then, keep it safe on the road and keep it real. 